Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45, 50. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Clemson outguns Wake Forest. The Texas trifecta delivers. Kansas State owns the Sooners and so much more on a loaded week four recap here on the Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmies and the Joes. I'm Mitch Mason, joined per usual by Trey Reeves, Garrett Turney. Fellas, yesterday, week four absolutely delivered. It was chaotic from uh, the 11 a.m. window all the way through the nightcap with USC barely holding on against Oregon State. Trey, there were sunburns to go around. There was really good football. There was really bad football. Uh, I'm just thrilled to break this down with you guys. We've got a lot to talk about. Yeah, that was the only downside to attending an awesome game between TCU and SMU. I guess there were two downsides. One, got a little sunburned. Was not prepared for the lack of shade at uh, Ford Stadium. We also really need to do something about the DJ situation at oh. SMU home games. I don't know who I need to write a letter to, but goodness gracious. Uh, we'll talk about that more when we cover that game. But also didn't get to be in front of a TV for a really loaded early slate. So yeah. only two downsides to going and attending a game in person this week. Yeah, Garrett, you were not with us in Dallas, but you were in front of a TV screen texting us updates from the 11 a.m. window, it was maybe the the, the powerhouse matchups weren't there in that 11 a.m. slate. Uh, all, all due respect to Kansas and Duke, but it was a lot of fun football, and you you kind of had it covered from from wall to wall. What was it like watching that early slate, knowing like you're kind of holding the the anchor down for the three tech crew? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm getting a little bit of a, a sore back again carrying this one, but no, I'm just kidding. No, it was great. It was fantastic getting to sit there, watch these games. I, I kind of tuned out of the SMU one because I knew you guys had that one covered, but man, Clemson Wake did not disappoint. That was a fantastic game up and down, back and forth, two very good football teams. We'll talk about that in a second. And man, Kansas Duke was one of the most fun football games I've been able to watch in a long time, man. Those two teams are very good. Uh, I'm excited to see kind of how this season goes for both of them because I don't think these teams are pretenders. I think those are two good teams that played in Kansas. And honestly, I don't get why game day didn't go to Lawrence. I know we talked about it in the preview, but man, what an electric atmosphere. That was such a cool scene. Good for Kansas, good for them. And they should be ranked. I think this just came out, they're 26, but they should be ranked. Rank Kansas, you cowards. Yeah, it feels like Kansas has got everything going their way. They're 4-0 for the first time since 2008, I believe. Uh, yeah. They're knocking on the door of being ranked for the first time 
since 2009. Hopefully we get that corrected this next week. But yeah, uh, so much to talk about. We'll dive into all of that starting with our game of the week in just a moment. But first, the housekeeping. If you are brand new to the show, welcome. Uh, You find us on a Monday morning when we're releasing this. A loaded week four. It's glad to have uh, new audience members jumping aboard the ship. We really enjoy getting to break down these games, previewing them every uh, Thursday morning and recapping them every Monday morning. If you are new, please hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We're on all the major platforms and head over to our socials as well at 3TechPod on Instagram and Twitter. We put out a lot of content during the week and on game day. We were live tweeting the SMU TCU game yesterday hitting the highlights from the afternoon slate, the evening slate as well with the A&M Arkansas game and the back and forth that was. Um, But we'd love to get to interact with you. So uh, if you have not already followed us, please do so at 3TechPod. Guys, without any further ado, we we could spend time talking about the AP poll. But listen, that doesn't really matter. Nobody actually cares where the (laughs) rank for the most part, unless you're Kansas, in the AP poll. We're more interested in the playoff rankings when those start coming out. So... Let's go ahead. Let's jump into the headliners, our game of the week, as we identified here on the 3Tech pod, not the national media, but right here. We said this was our game of the week. Number five, Clemson knocks off Wake Forest, the number 21 team in the country in double overtime. Clemson 51, Wake Forest 45. Garrett, you had a front row seat to this entire entire contest. Trey and I had to catch basically the end of regulation and, and overtime as we were walking back to the parking lot. Take take the lead here. What did you see? It looked like Clemson's offense came to play. Wake Forest also. I mean, gosh, Sam, Hart, uh, Sam Hartman had a, a historic day for the Deeks. What'd you get to see? What'd you like? Man, well, so just coming out of the gate, Clemson looked like the much better team. DJU came out and looked really good. And let's go ahead and settle this one. DJ, you deserve some respect on this one. I know that here we talked pretty critically about him. That was kind of a national narrative as well about how he may not be the guy. Lots of sort of backup infatuation with Kate Klubnik. But look, he came out and he played a great game coming out the gates. They they couldn't really get any pressure on him starting off early, and they just went out there. He was effective. He completed a lot of his passes. He, he was effective in some of the quarterback run. He looked really, really, really good. Um, flip side of that wake, they just did not move the ball very well for that first, you know, quarter, quarter and a half. They, they just could not move the ball. They scored a couple times, but I think their first score was helped by like two or three PIs and then a big chunk play. And then the second one was on a, it was another like big chunk play, like 40 yard, 50 yard type of ball. So, I mean, outside of those chunks, they could not run against this Clemson defense. One of my notes I took during the game was, man, this Clemson defense is fast. They were flying to the ball. They were intense. They, they were locked in. But, man, something happened, I guess, in that second half when they came out. They came out and scored something like 14 or 21 unanswered points on Clemson. I mean, they came out strong in the second half. Hartman, he is absolutely that guy. I was just talking about how good DJU played. Hartman was great. I think he scored something like six touchdowns against yeah. Blitz, which was crazy to me. I, I wow. Against Blitz is extra good for me. So, I don't know. I just – I was watching him play. I was watching them go back and forth. There was a point where I thought Wake was about to grab this game, run away with it. And then obviously DJ, he he finds what he needed to. He bounced back from some of that where in previous times, you know, we haven't seen him make that bounce back as soon as the game script goes off. But he actually sprung it with like a 20 or 30 yard carry on a design quarterback run where he just kind of takes it around the end, picks up the first down. And I think that kind of helped him settle in a little bit. So both quarterbacks are sensational in this one. 
I think at the end of the day, it was just the fact that the Clemson defense made a couple more plays than the Wake defense did. Neither defense particularly played poorly, but man, it was tough against these quarterbacks with as good as they are. Will Shipley, he is a good football player. He is extremely underappreciated, I think, nationally. He was extremely effective yesterday. Also, for Wake, I was really impressed with sophomore Jamal Banks. He is an emerging star. He is really good. He was all over the field, borderline uncoverable at times. Um, He gave them some of those big plays early when they needed them. And, man, this was just a fantastic game. Obviously, you know, Clemson getting that score in the second overtime, being able to put that one up and make one more play in that second overtime was awesome. But I think you got to look at both of these teams and say these are a couple of really, really good football teams. And at the end of the day, Clemson won out because I think they had the better coaching, the better sort of consistency with their their talent level and where they are as a program. But man, Wake Forest is a really good program, a really good team, and they deserve to be at the top of the conversation in the ACC. It was a really interesting quarterback battle because, you know, on paper, we looked at coming into this matchup, you've got a struggling DJU, you've got Sam Hartman that really has not performed against Clemson to this point in his career. Those guys combined for 708 yards, 11 touchdowns, and no interceptions. Like, just insane video game numbers that they were putting up this entire game. So credit to both of those guys for really answering my questions. DJU absolutely earned more time at the starting quarterback, and he silenced the critics, like you said, Garrett, with amazing performances today. Defense didn't really show up for Clemson. They, uh, like you said, made a couple plays when they needed to. They made a couple more plays in the Wake defense that's just a little bit more suspect. But when the defense didn't show up, I was thinking that Clemson was going to need to ride that defense to get out with a win today. Defense didn't really show up. Sam Hartman balled out, but DJU matched him step for step. And that was really, really impressive to me. Really ups Clemson's national title chances if DJU can continue to play at that level. We'll see next week, though. The the step up in defense is drastic next week when they welcome the Wolfpack to town, and that's a lot different than playing this Wake Forest defense. So we'll see how consistently DJU can keep that up. I I believe uh, Wake Forest was down their top cornerback as well, so a defense that already doesn't really stop anybody was even limited. Their best playmaker, like what both of you guys said, it's concerning for Wake that they can't run the football. They haven't been able to run the football since Kenneth Walker III transferred out, right? I mean, that has just not been a huge part of their game. They ran it a little bit last year, but this season, oh boy, if if their quarterback isn't slinging it through the air, this Wake team might be in a lot of trouble. I do like the fact that, that Sam has come back from a blood clot issue, missed the first couple of weeks. It doesn't look like he's you know, suffering any side effects, right, from either the illness or from the, the couple weeks that he's missed. So I'm, I'm really hoping that he has just an awesome final season. It's a kid who's been through all kinds of adversity. He's, he's had the ups and downs, but he's stayed true to that Wake program, formerly one of the top quarterback recruits in the country. And, uh, you know, to throw six touchdowns against a defense like Clemson, I think that's really, really cool for Sam to get to, to have. On the flip side, DJU – absolutely silenced the haters and you know his teammates were letting that be known in the in the post-game press conference uh, it was something that we had identified that if this went sideways Clemson was going to have to pull the trigger and go to Cade Clubding now you know you just got the best performance of DJU's career in a gutsy overtime win where not everything was going well and where Will Shipley yeah he had 20 carries for 104 yards but 
But Wake had just stopped on a couple of key possessions. I thought he answered the bell to go on the road like that. Uh, Just an incredible statement victory. And if Clemson can show some of this going forward, there's no doubt in my mind that, especially with some of the questions that we have with Alabama, with Ohio State, playing defense most of the time, but, but maybe not all the time quite yet, Clemson could enter the phrase potentially that third best team in the country. Well, and to be clear, one more note on these quarterbacks. DJU, he silenced the haters like you were saying. I saw a guy on Twitter who was pretty critical of him in the past, and he said, DJU, I'm sorry, you're my quarterback now. I think he's one of those like Clemson guys. Yeah. I think this did a lot for what he what he needed to do for that fan base. You know, I think a lot of that fan base was kind of not sold either, and I think this game did a lot for that. On the flip side, if you're looking at it from a Wake Forest perspective, Sam Hartman is certainly good enough to bring you to a New Year's Six Bowl this year. I think this is a good enough team with him at the helm to do that. But uh, obviously, you're kind of hoping for another Clemson slip-up. So I think your eyes are set to next week to hope that maybe they can pick up a loss and then some kind of triangle thing where they beat NC State and then you know NC State beats Clemson and then maybe they end up in the in the conference championship game. So th- there's a lot of hope there, I think, still for Wake, especially with how well that they played yesterday. All right, let's head back down south to the Lone Star State where we were, and we've got a couple of different games to get to here. Let's start with the big one last night. Number 23, Texas A&M. They hold on 23-21 to 21 over the 10th-ranked Hogs of Arkansas. Guys, this game was an emotional roller coaster for us. None of us were in attendance. It was for those who were. Obviously, you've heard of the oink-doink by now. Arkansas a chance to potentially win the game with just a little over a minute left and uh, the field goal kick wide right off the top of the right upright and bounce back into play. Texas A&M holds on. They do not cover though. Garrett nailed that prediction that A&M would win by one or two points. We'll let you circle back in a second, but Trey uh, would like you to describe what was going on in the Reeves household last night as this game unfolded. So Mitch is over. We're we're having a great time. Uh, the game is not off to a great start for our Texas A&M Aggies. They fall behind 14 to nothing very quickly to Arkansas. I get up to grab, grab a glass of water, and A&M finally gets a stop. So I'm thinking, okay, I'll I'll just stand here for a second. Like maybe maybe something's maybe there's some good mojo with me standing in the kitchen. Well, A&M gets the ball back and immediately just marches right down the field for the first time and scores a touchdown after looking just absolutely helpless on offense uh, for the first few possessions, not even getting a first down on their first three possessions, I believe. So, you know what, if you, any kind of college football fan, you know what happens next. I planted my happy self right there in the kitchen, the rest of the game. And I was standing, uh, standing for my service, uh, the whole entire rest of the game. I did sit down at halftime, but, as long as the ball is in play, I was standing in my kitchen watching from the kitchen, and you know what? It worked out. It's not crazy if it if it works. So it worked this week. We'll see. I don't know if I'll have to be back in the kitchen when AM takes on Mississippi State next week. But just on a game note, go ahead, Garrett. I was gonna say off the top, I thought it was kind of funny you said that. You know, when we were talking about it, you know, on the front end of the show, I was just like, man, if it wasn't for you standing in that kitchen, that ball sails through the uprights or just barely doesn't nick that flag at the top or whatever it is. So congratulations to you. This is a win well-deserved on your side. 
Yeah, you were talking about your back being sore from carrying the three tech pod. My back's a little sore from carrying Texas A&M football, but um, yeah, joke, got to joke in a in a group chat that all three of us are in with some Arkansas fans that uh, you know that that kick was never going to make it. My energy of just standing in the kitchen was too much, but. <laughs> From a game perspective, uh, all, all jokes aside, that, that was a lot of fun. But uh, from a game perspective, man, just cue that SNL Stefan meme because this game had everything. <laughs> uh, AM almost ties it up with a 95 plus yard uh, scoop and score, stripping KJ Jefferson near the goal line when he just inexplicably <laughs> extends from about the five yard line. And on that scoop and score, there's a handoff from one defensive back to the other so he can finish the job. There's the oink doink that we've talked about. There was a botch point after attempts. There was just so much craziness that led into this game. It was a classic A&M Arkansas game. And I was happy to see the Ags come out on top, but still a lot of questions on the offensive side of the ball for A&M. I think you started to see that kind of gel under Max Johnson, especially in that third quarter. It looked like they were finally starting to get some traction. Then Anaya Smith goes down with a high ankle sprain. So just a lot of questions for this AM offense. The defense stepped up and played pretty well. They did struggle against the run for long stretches of that game, but I was impressed. Anytime that you can go away from your home stadium and beat a legitimate top 10 team, I think you got to come away happy, even if it's not the prettiest outcome. Sure. I, I completely agree. You know, look, Texas A&M, their offense through the air is anything but explosive. But I think you are starting to see, as I think it was on the Andy Staples show, they said seeds of a competent offense. You're starting to see some more advanced route concepts. You're starting to see motion in this offense. You're, you're just starting to see what the internet has been screaming at Jimbo Fisher to do with some very talented playmakers out wide. You know, you, you watch an AM game and you go, okay, like, what is the issue here? They they've got all these five stars everywhere. Why can't they move the football? And you know, I think it's been a bevy of things that we've cataloged in, in past episodes on this. But Max Johnson, his stat line's not sexy. Eleven of twenty-one, 151 yards and a touchdown. But he didn't make any crucial mistakes. He doesn't turn the football over. He's able to pick up some big first downs through the air and with his legs. He had 13 carries last night. You have Devin A-Chain rushing for 159 yards and a touchdown on 19 carries, a career day for him. The Aggies started to show why they were considered to be a top 10 team coming into this season because, number one, that defense is elite. Now, the, the run defense certainly struggled, and I think, as, as I'm sure we're about to complain, it really feels like it's scheme-oriented. Running three-man fronts over and over again when K.J. Jefferson just wants to play bully ball seems like the stupidest possible thing that you could do, and yet that's what D.J. Durkin did. So I'll let you guys get into that in just a second. But what we did see was AM bow up on third downs. They had negative plays that they forced when they absolutely had to, and other than that that big, uh, long touchdown pass on the, the busted slant, or the busted post, I'm sorry, early in the game to give Arkansas a 14-0 lead, you didn't see Arkansas really do much splash-wise through the air. A couple third down and long conversions, but I thought the Aggie defense really stepped up. They got pressure on K.J. Jefferson. They delivered some hits, and you know ultimately they did enough to, to win, right? They poked that football out in, in, the, uh, in the second quarter. 
the 97 yard scoop and score, which has been everywhere. If you're on, if you're on Twitter or, or any kind of social media, you know, for the crowd that says A&M got lucky in this game, show me where they got lucky. They, they forced mistakes from a very, very good Arkansas team. And, you know, we'll see what, what the Aggies ceiling is going forward. I think eight and four, nine and three is, is probably their ceiling, but they found a way to win, as Trey pointed out, against a top 10 team away from home. That's impressive as it goes. Yeah, as far as this game goes, obviously when I broke it down, I said this was probably coming down to special teams and that, you know, Anim would win, but not by the two and a half that we yeah. had when we were calling this one. Well, I thought I was right earlier in the game when they missed the extra point and I said, oh, the Aggies are going to lose by one, aren't they, right? There's going to be some field goal later in the yep. game and you're going to lose by one. You can't quite score, whereas it would have been overtime. That's the situation we saw, and if it wasn't for some absolutely strange, never seen that before, probably won't see it again, kicked it off the flag at the top of the goalpost, you know, that would have been the case. That would have been the storyline, but it ended up being special teams that bit Arkansas in the end of it instead. Um, I mean, look, this was a this was a really, really fun game to watch, and if you're an Aggie fan, you're saying, hey, we still didn't put up our best effort. I still don't feel like this team is at its ceiling, right? If you look at Max Johnson, he put up the exact same stat line as he did last week, right? About 50% completions, about 150 yards, nothing dynamic about that, right? One touchdown, I think. Mm-hmm. And so if you're looking at it, you're saying, when is this going to snap into place, right? When are we going to see you know, the quarterback get the chemistry with the receivers, the receivers understand their role, you know, figure out who's going to be like first guy in the pecking order, what route concepts work the best for this group, obviously losing Anias for the next, you know, couple of games, don't know how long it's going to be until he's back from that high ankle sprain. But, you know, what, what's going to work for them, right? I, I think if you're an Aggie fan, you're going to say, when is this offense going to snap into place? Well, last night you saw the run game get it going, so that's certainly something to be encouraged about, right? That's something to be encouraged about if you are looking for how is this offense going to play well. If you're an Arkansas fan, man, you just feel like you had your game plan and still that AM defense found a way to stifle it. With regard to the three-man front, I did some thinking about why a team would run a three-man front against a run-heavy and especially a power-run-heavy team. And I thought about it, and then I remembered to play it, and it hit me why they were doing that. There's a play where KJ's rolling off to his to his left, and he throws a ball over the middle, and it gets completed in front of a bunch of corners and DBs. And then I realized, oh, they just wanted to take away the big play all night. They didn't care if you were going to dink and dunk and run down the field and get five or six yards of carry. They were saying, you're not going to go ahead and run big play after big play after big play and run the score up on us. And so that's why I think they ended up going with a lot more DBs. Now, would that have been, you know, would it would it have been nice to have seen a different package on a third and short? Yeah, I think so. Would it have been nice to see, you know, a fourth, you know, guy down and maybe a third linebacker in there on some of those goal line situations? Yeah, maybe. But you know, you complain about that. It was, you know, a linebacker that forced the fumble, a corner that picked it up, and then a safety that ended up running it in on that strange, bizarre play. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was an interesting situation, I think, when, when you look at this game for both teams, because both teams needed it. Both teams wanted it real bad. At the end of the day, I think the better program with the better coach won. And that's going to be controversial to say for a lot of people based on, oh, Jimbo lost to App State. He can't call plays, whatever. Well, last night he did a pretty dang good job with a team that still hasn't found its stride. So 
I'm not sure what the ceiling is for this A&M team. As they are right now, they're not going to win too many games in the SEC. But if they continue to improve, they keep playing well on defense, you could see this team start to make some noise and, and make that App State loss seem like a thing of you know distant memory. So curious to see where they go from here. Yeah, it was really interesting because we kind of highlighted that we thought on the other side of the ball, Arkansas's pass defense would be very vulnerable because they came into the game ranked dead last in the FBS in yards given up through the air. AM didn't really attack them through the air. Now, they did miss on a couple of deep shots that could have made that number look a lot better. And I don't think either of the deep shots they missed on were necessarily on Max Johnson. But they really, we were concerned about their ability to move it on the ground coming into this game. And they kind of rectified those fears to a greater extent. So, I don't know if Arkansas was just more focused on the pass defense in this one and kind of let their run discipline slip or um, just something along those lines. But yeah, you have to be really encouraged by that ground game. Last thing I'll say is I, I think that's a great point in what you're talking about, Garrett, with that three-man front. They were definitely trying to bring disguise an extra help in the rush game or an extra late mm-hmm. blitzer a lot of times as well. And I think... If you're an Aggie fan that is cursing DJ Durkin this morning, you might be singing his praises this time next week because that three-man front, I think, could do wonders and getting reps in that and getting disciplined in that when you face an air raid offense next week is going to be just night and day different. Yeah, the last thing I'll add here statistically, so again, A&M pulls off a win without winning the statistical margin. Um, Total yards goes Arkansas's way. First downs goes Arkansas's way. Time of possession, though, barely goes the Hogs' way. And that has been one of the Achilles' heels for AM, right? And it's, it's what we saw them start the game struggling with. They couldn't find a first down. They just could not mm-hmm. keep that offense on the field. You get a couple of plays there on a, on a great drive uh, in, in your fourth, fourth attempt at it, and that kind of turned everything around. But AM's ability to run the football, that offensive line seems to be gelling a little bit better together. And, you know, you, you basically make the possession time a coin flip. That's going to be critical for AM going forward, especially as they start to play teams like a Mississippi State next week in Stark Vegas, who's going to throw the ball all over the lot. If you're going to give up scores to Mississippi State, it's probably going to be quick. So you're going to have to then counter by taking the air out of the football, bleeding the, the Bulldogs dry as you rush down the field against a defensive front that I think you should be able to run on. So, Mississippi State does open as a three-point favorite for that game. Uh, that's going to be one that we certainly watch with a lot of interest. Let's go from Texas A&M over to the Longhorns of Texas. They moved up uh, to 22nd in the country and then immediately dropped to the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Guys, this was a back-and-forth affair the entire game. Texas once again hampered by some injuries. Xavier Worthy rolls his ankle on the second series of the game, did not play the rest of the contest, Texas Tech out-schemed the Longhorns of, of Texas. I believe Tech ran something like 92 plays in this game. I mean, they just eviscerated the Longhorn defense. It was a close game. Uh, at In the first quarter, Texas pulls away a little bit in the second quarter. They go up 24-14, to 14, but then Tech rallies back. 10 in the third, 10 in the fourth. They hold the Longhorns to just 10 total points. And then B. John Robinson with his first career fumble on the first play of overtime sinks the Longhorn ship. What what a game that it was out in West Texas. Well, credit to Texas Tech for rising up and taking it. But 
this is a problem for Steve Sarkeesian under or at Texas. It, you know, I, I jokingly wrote down, wait, wait, Steve Sarkeesian blew a multiple touchdown lead in the second half. I'm color me shocked because that's not a shocking thing. He's done this so many times. He was up 31 17 with about four minutes to go in the third quarter after Robinson broke off a long touchdown run. You're thinking if you're a Texas fan, okay, this has been a back and forth game, but we're starting to establish some control. Here's what their offense did after going up 31 17. Three and out, three and out, five plays and punt, and then they do get the ball back to kick the game tying field goal to send it to overtime. So three drives in a row while Tech is just driving down the field and scored twice and also got stopped on the goal line once, you're running a total of 11 plays and punting three times. It's just not winning football. It's Texas shooting themselves on the foot. And look, I know they have injuries. I know that they don't have their team at full strength. I know they're missing Quinn Ewers, but when you go into Lubbock as a touchdown or more favorite as a Texas program, you're expecting to win. And that fan base is expecting to win that game. But credit to Texas Tech. They came in and took that game from the Longhorns. They did not give up when they fell down multiple scores multiple times. Donovan Smith took care of the football. That was one thing that we highlighted as just absolutely key in this game. And credit to them for fighting through it and giving those home crowd fans something to cheer about and something to rush the field about. Yeah, no, Donovan Smith had a fantastic bounce-back game after that pretty tough loss to NC State on the road. Mm -hmm. It was nice for him to be back in front of his home crowd to get to kind of feed off that energy. I think that was, what, the first sellout in Lubbock in like three or four years or something like that. It was was pretty crazy to see, Um, and they absolutely showed up with the energy for that one. And you, you guys know this, too. Man, when Tech fans show up to those games, it can get crazy in Lubbock. And so, man, hats off to to them for doing this. I think this has a lot more to do with Texas Tech. You know, I think this has a lot more to do with who they are. When I was watching this game early on, I said, and I said this to my wife when we were watching it, I said, Texas has the better players, but I think Tech is the better team. They just look like they play better together. They look like they're willing to do their job, do their assignment, and they just look better together. Texas was making these big, huge plays, you know, rattling off this big play, scoring off stuff like that. But they weren't really – I didn't think they looked like the better team yesterday. Now, you can, again, blame this on the injuries if you want to, but at the end of the day, like, did Hudson Card play that poorly? I don't think so. I don't think he played a terrible game. I think, I mean, you, what, scored 34, 38 points, something like that. Like, yep. that's not a bad effort. This wasn't on you. The defense didn't play well. The The defense didn't, you know, stop the Texas Tech offense enough. They had a huge lead, and they couldn't put it away. And, and you can call it whatever you want to. You can say that, oh, well, if Bijan doesn't fumble, well, yeah, sure, give him the ifs, right? People are going to make mistakes through a game, and you make mistakes when the pressure is on. The pressure was on. They couldn't handle the road. And I think that's what it comes down to. Now, I don't think this is the sky is falling for Texas, but it just seems like they're lacking that killer instinct. You know, it doesn't seem like they have the ability to put a team away and finish a game when they get a lead like this, right? They can come out and smack you in the face, but we saw the Red River rivalry last year, right? We saw it several times last year, not being able to put a team away once you kind of got that lead late in the game. So, man, I mean, I was hoping they'd be better at this point, but Again, hats off to Texas Tech. This is a very good team. This is a very well-coached team. I think they're on the rise, and I think once people start to see what they're doing with that culture, you're going to see some transfer talent come in. You're going to see you know, a bump in the recruiting. And I think Texas Tech could be you know, set in a real good position to run the new Big 12. 
I, shout out to Joey McGuire and what he's doing there in Lubbock. Yeah, so fantastic. Again, these are these are not his guys that are in there right now, and yet he's got them believing. If you watch his post game speech, he, he was very emphatic. He he said over and over again, "I told you this at half, and it happened." And I think you know the the kind of headliner in that statement is, "I told you they would break, and they did." And I told you we would get this win in Lubbock, and we did. And, you know, he, he made the statement, everything runs through Lubbock in this conference. And Texas Tech, laugh at them all you want for their mediocrity over the last couple of years. They're hot right now. And as Texas just showed you, going into Lubbock, is, it's not easy. It is really, really difficult to get a win there. Donovan Smith, 38 of 56, 331 through the air, two touchdowns. He completed passes to 11 different uh, receivers yesterday, which is mm-hmm. just a, a huge stat. Last thing I'll say about Texas you know, I picked Texas to win this game. I picked Texas to cover uh, in, in two notes. One, Garrett, what you're saying about them not having that killer instinct, it's true. I thought they showed me that killer instinct last week when they were yep. down against UTSA, and then they put the Roadrunners away in an emphatic second half. They were not able to do that again. Uh, Austin Taylor, friend of the show, he's been on a couple times. He texted me, this is the eighth double-digit lead that Steve Sarkeesian has blown as a head coach in his career. Oh, man. He's not been a head coach for that long, right? I, I Just a disaster for Steve Sarkeesian. You've got the, the social media fired up. Folks are saying, get Sarkeesian out of here. I think, obviously, that's way premature. But it, it does tell me that Texas is not quite ready to compete at a national level again. They might be really, really good at home, but going on the road is a completely different thing. And if you want to get to the place where you're competing with the Bamas and the Georgias and Ohio States for national championships and national recognition to truly be back, you have to be nails on the road. Last thing about the Longhorns, I've got no pulse on picking them. I am 5-11 and 11 against the spread, picking the Longhorns going back to last season. So wow. I'm sorry, guys. If I, pick, if I pick Texas to win and win comfortably – Hang on to your butts because it's probably the other <laughs> way. It's not, it's, it's not been good at all. Um, but we'll leave the Longhorns for right now. Let's head over to their top rival, number six, Oklahoma. Or at least they were number six until Kansas State rolled into Norman last night. And guys, they did it again. Kansas State 41, Oklahoma 34. Adrian Martinez had himself a ball game last night. Yeah, no. I mean, look, we know at this point, that Kansas State owns Oklahoma, okay? It's, it's what, three of the last four years they've beaten them. This is a team that I picked as my darling, right? I thought Kansas State was going to be a hopeful for the Big 12 championship game. You know, I thought that they were going to put together a good season after last week, wasn't feeling it. After this week, we're right back on track. Uh, Adrian Martinez, he took a massive step in the right direction, right? He couldn't pass the last few weeks. They weren't effective as an offense. It wasn't like he put up gaudy numbers in the past game, but he passed effectively. I think he had over 200 yards uh, in the past game. Combine that with a real good effort on the ground from him and a solid contribution from Deuce as well. They just had the best one-two tandem there. That's all it was. They were the two best players on the field at any given time. Um, OU clearly has a lot to work on, if you ask me. Um, they, they have a good offense. Doesn't look like they were able to keep up. It looked like their defense was slow out there. Like on that last, I don't know if it was the last one or the second to last one where Adrian ran around the corner and just beat everyone at the end zone. It kind of looked like, oh, he's going to get caught. They're going to collapse on him. And nobody did. They just looked slow. They didn't look ready for what he was doing. 
and they couldn't collapse on the quarterback. And so I looked at this, I say, okay, if you're going to play that slow, or if it's, I don't know if it's an eye recognition thing where you see and then react to it slow, but whatever it is, the defense wasn't playing fast enough and they weren't reacting quickly enough to that. You combine that, I start thinking forward, well, we just talked about this team, Texas Tech. Are they going to stop Donovan Smith? Because I think he's a better quarterback than Adrian Martinez at this point. Are they going to be able to stop guys like Hudson Card when it comes time to it? Or if it's Quinn Ewers later in the season, can they stop them? Are they going to be able to react to that? Are they going to be able to shut them down in the pass game? You know, we'll talk about Kansas later, but Jalen Daniels ain't a joke either. So I'm starting to look at OU and I'm saying, if you can't play better on defense, Adrian Martinez went and beat you up. You got a lot of problems in this conference in particular. So Oklahoma has some issues on defense. We'll see if they can figure that out. But right now, credit to Kansas State. They looked real good. They're 1-0 in conference play and ready to roll on to that uh, Big 12 championship game like I predicted them to. So we'll see how that works out. (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of OU fans and especially the Twitter army that they have just kind of preemptively assume that because they hired a defensive-minded head coach in Brent Venables that the defense would just get fixed overnight. But... We saw it. We saw it last night. It that old bugaboo just reared its ugly head. We've mm-hmm. for years just questioned like, what would Oklahoma look like if they had a truly elite defense? If they were able to bring in that talent, coach them up, and scheme to have a truly elite defense, we're still asking that question because, like you said, Garrett, Adrian Martinez is not the best quarterback that they're going to face, and K State just out coached them. They out schemed them. They out coached them on that offensive side of the ball. Now, OU's offense, I thought, looked fine. They were playing catch-up for most of the game because they fell down 14 to nothing early. And I thought Dylan Gabriel had a fantastic game. I'm not losing any confidence in that side of the ball. But if the defense is going to cause you to fall down 14 to nothing or help other teams even with, you know, marginal talent outside of a couple guys on offense, if if they're keeping up with you, that's going to be tough on any offense to outscore have to outscore an opponent every week. So color me concerned as someone who picked Oklahoma to go to the playoff color me very concerned about that defensive effort and the schedule going forward, because it just doesn't get any easier, but I will echo the praises of Adrian Martinez. This is what I was hoping to see going into the year that a change of scenery would just be really good for him. We hadn't seen it up to that point. I don't know if K state was just holding something back schematically they got their what the heck loss out of the way last week against Tulane. It always seems like yeah. K State loses to someone silly early in the year, and then they come into Norman, or Norman comes, or Oklahoma comes into Manhattan, mm-hmm. and they're just ready to go. They flip the switch. So it happened again. Credit K State for getting up for the big game. Let's see if they can consistently play that well throughout the rest of their Big Twelve schedule. Yeah, it's like Kansas State doesn't handle momentum well because as soon as they've got sort of any <laughs> expectations. They lose to a two-lane. They convert, you know, like two third downs out of 20 attempts. And and they have a loss that just leaves you looking at the drawing board going, how on earth did this happen? And then to your point, Martinez, he, it's not like he lit the world on fire through the air, just 234 and a touchdown, but he runs for 148 yards and four tutters, 21 carries. I mean, Oklahoma had no answer to contain Martinez on the ground, and that's certainly been his best asset. That's what... He flashed, you know, moments of stardom with at Nebraska, and now he's taken it into a new system with Chris Kleiman, who is building something there in Manhattan, Kansas. Oklahoma's offense, you're right, not not an issue, not the not the side of the ball that needs work on. They they had over 550 total yards. Dylan Gabriel, 330 through the air, four touchdowns. 
it truly is a one-sided problem. And I think Brent Venables will get that fixed, but gosh, I, you know, to especially to lose to this team, right, where Kansas State has owned you the last four years, three of the last four, and even that one win that you had, it was a nail-biter. You got You should have been able to get the guys up for it. You you exactly. should have been able to get them up for this game of all games. Exactly. In your house, uh I listen, I know it's a setback. Oklahoma is going to be fine. You know, Garrett and I didn't have them pegged as as this was their year, but I do think all all excuses aside, I think this Oklahoma team is headed in the right direction. I think Brent Venables is going to do a great job. Honestly, you just got to find a way to beat Kansas State next year and then let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, that's probably why they're leaving for the SEC is just so they don't have to play those guys from Manhattan anymore. They're, they're kicking their butts the last four years. So, I mean, hey, I, I don't know. Maybe that's why they're doing it. That seems logical to me. They'd rather play Kentucky than Kansas State or something. That's right. Texas is getting away from the Red Raiders, and uh, Oklahoma apparently is getting away from Kansas State. At least so says Twitter. All right, we got two more featured games to get through. Let's get through these pretty quickly, and then we'll look around the country. You've got number 11, Tennessee, scoring 38 against Florida. Uh, In that win, Florida, 20th team in the country. Their offense looked really good. They lose by five. They covered the spread, but that defense just not able to stop an explosive Hendon Hooker. He was masterful yesterday through the air, on the ground. Tennessee gets an important win to keep this drive for the SEC East title, if they can somehow upset Tennessee, at least a landmark year for the the recent program's history alive. Yeah, it's looking like a three-way race at the top of the SEC East at this point. We've got three teams in the SEC East in the latest top 10. So that could be a really spicy race down the stretch. But Hinton Hooker, is he the Heisman frontrunner at this point? Because I haven't seen a more... There, yeah. Yeah, he has to be up there because I haven't seen a more explosive, exciting player anywhere in college football this year that's just so vital to his team. Mm-hmm. Credit Anthony Richardson for coming out and probably having his best personal game of the year to keep this one close, especially with, uh, you know, they had a chance to win the game after an onside kick late in the game. Like they recover an onside kick after going down by five and had a chance to win the game, but. Tennessee comes up with a stop there at the end. A lot closer than I was expecting, so credit to Florida for going on the road and keeping it close in a rivalry game. Yeah, and obviously Richardson getting his first touchdown pass, uh, that had a little bit more to do with Tennessee corners not really tackling, though. If you go back and watch that highlight. Still a big milestone for Anthony. He can get that uh, monkey off his back. (laughs) A little bit, yeah. You got to exercise those demons, right? Doesn't matter how it happens. Just get it done. So good for him. Good for Florida for looking a lot better on offense. I just think Tennessee was the better team. That's all you need to really say about that one. They're a better team. Uh, you're right, Hendon Hooker playing really good ball right now. I, I called him the second best quarterback in the SEC last week. I think that's pretty much where it stands right now. You know, maybe him, Will Rogers, kind of a you know two A two B situation, but he's fantastic. And you're right, he should be one of the top guys in the Heisman conversation, as well as Blake Corum, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Oh, no doubt. It, last thing on Florida here, it really as good as or at least as talented as their running backs seem to be on paper. This game was the Anthony Richardson show, uh, 24 completions, 453 yards through the air. A lot of that was was yards after the catch, two touchdowns and interception. He was also the team's leading rusher, 17 carries for 62 yards and two touchdowns. The rest of the team combined for uh, about 70 yards rushing. So 
you know, I think that's what's going to hold Florida back from being a super competitive team. It seems like we were more down on them than what is going to be actual reality. But I will say they need to continue figuring out how to support their quarterback if they're going to reach championship levels of competition again. Now, on the plus side, Justin Shorter, Ricky Purcell, they had great games, right? Ricky transferring over from from Arizona State. Justin Shorter looked amazing yesterday, seven catches for 155 yards. They've got talent. They just need to find ways to support Anthony Richardson to where, like in the Kentucky game, when he's off, there are other ways to score the football. There are other ways to continue moving the chains. If they don't do that, I think it's going to be not a long season, but you know, an underwhelming season on the national scale. And I will say, I think Florida, probably in the offseason, is one of the big winners through the transfer portal because I think loads of people are going to want to sign up to play with Anthony Richardson. I think sure. they're going to come in there and say, oh, I can be the running back that gives you a break, or I could be that wide receiver who's that big target. I, I think there's going to be a lot of guys coming to play with him in Florida. So maybe not the best season this year for them. I'm not predicting them to go, you know, be terrible or, you know, look like Auburn or anything, but you know, they're going to have a little bit of a bummer year, I think, compared to their preseason expectations. But I think next year they're going to look a lot better. But guys, they played the Super Bowl in week four yesterday down in Lawrence, Kansas. Kansas 35, Duke 27. The Jayhawks, they are 4-0. and They are receiving all kinds of votes, but evidently not enough to break into the AP poll. They're 26th. Right now, in the polls right now, which is just an absolute shame. We've all been echoing it. Rank the Jayhawks, you cowards. Guys, Kansas, their offense looked legit. I was proud of the way that, that Elko's squad fought. They came back. Kansas had a chance to kind of run away with this, and Duke fought back. They, they made this a ball game. Uh, Kansas, though, winning by eight, just barely covering that spread. Good for, uh, good for the Jayhawks. And now a big-time game against Iowa State coming up next week. Yeah, I mean – We've been joking about it, but Kansas absolutely deserves to be ranked. You look at some of these teams in the lower part of the poll, I'd put a 4-0 Kansas in above you know some of these teams that have had their shot on the biggest stage already, and we've kind of seen, okay, maybe you're not quite ready for that. So credit Kansas. Jalen Daniels looked like a man yesterday. I think he only threw four incomplete passes, threw for four touchdowns, was the leading rusher yet again for Kansas. Their offense is so fun, so dynamic. It's going to continue to cause a lot of problems. We're at the point, I think, I don't think it's an overstatement to say we're past looking at can Kansas make a bowl. I think we're looking at a much higher ceiling. Can they make a run at that next tier bowl? Can they even make a run at a New Year's Six Bowl by the end of the year? I think if they can continue to play this well on offense, the sky is literally the limit. Yeah, it sounds crazy. I might be one of the higher people on Kansas this year. I think Kansas is legitimately a really good football team. I want to be clear. Both of these teams are way better than what their preseason expectations were. Duke came in there and played a very good game. Riley Leonard is a good quarterback. He can make all the throws on the field. There's some limitations in terms of talent and what they're going to do on their offense. I still want to see a guy jump up and be that big-time playmaker for Duke. But as it stands right now, they have a good offense, and as if they keep rolling through this year, they're going to make some people upset in the ACC. But looking at Kansas, they are the story here, okay? Jalen Daniels is that guy, okay? He had 200 yards and three touchdowns by the half 
Okay. Keeping him at Kansas is going to be the big thing for Kansas. They need to keep him around. They don't want him getting raided in the portal next year or anything like that. But speaking of guys, they need to make sure they stick around. If Kansas does not absolutely just back up the dump truck into Lance Leifold's driveway, they deserve to be a bad program. Okay. You need to back (laughs) up the dump truck, give him everything he wants, give him all, all of the money that Kansas, I don't know, what is it, corn or other agricultural products can buy, you know, give him all of the money, give him every single thing that he wants. Nebraska is going to come for him in the offseason. I'm convinced that's going to be their target, and it should be. Lance Leipold's a fantastic coach. Kansas needs to keep him there or they deserve to be bad. But as far as this year goes, they're going to upset some people. We've talked about how some of these Big 12 teams have some problems and that they have some things they need to figure out. It would not be a stretch right now to say that if it was a neutral site field, I would probably pick Kansas to beat both Texas and Oklahoma today just based on the talent level, the efficiency of the offense, and the fact that neither of those teams have showed me that they can effectively stop an opposing quarterback from scoring. This Kansas offense is very good. Highshaw Jr. is a talented back. If you all saw his big, long touchdown run that he had, or it might have been a swing pass, but that was a long, long run. When He was athletic. He was cutting. He was making guys miss, spinning out of stuff. This is a very good Kansas football team. They beat Texas last year, obviously, and I know that that was last year. This is a very good team, and you were saying it, Trey. This could be a team we're talking about. What kind of a bowl game are they making? As it stands right now, everyone in the Big 12 except Oklahoma State and TCU's played a conference game, and Kansas leads the Big 12. They are in the driver's seat of the Big 12. They control their own destiny right now. That's not something that Texas or Oklahoma can say right now. So I'm not trying to bash on the horns of the Sooners. But I am trying to say this Kansas team is a very good team and we should be watching out for what they can do. So I will continue to parrot this thing. I think Kansas might be one of the best states in football between Kansas and Kansas State right now. They are dominating. Uh, Can't say that about all the teams in Florida or all the teams in Texas or all the teams in California. So, yeah, Kansas might just be the best football state in this great country of ours. They are the only team in the conference that is still undefeated after playing a conference game. So mm-hmm. that is very impressive. They've got TCU and or Iowa State next week, TCU follow the following week. They could leave Fort Worth bowl eligible. I think that is going to be very, the first very Big 12 team that's bowl eligible. I think it's a real possibility. I think Iowa State has a lot of questions. We'll talk about them maybe in a little bit. And yep. TCU looked really good against SMU yesterday, but I think SMU kind of shot themselves in the foot as well. Oh, multiple times. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll talk about that. We we witnessed that that pain in in person. There's an APB out for the SMU defense because they were nowhere to be seen. But we'll get there in just a second. Um, I think I know what what our Twitter clip of the week is going to be. Garrett declaring that he would take Kansas over Texas and OU right now. Today, um, today I would. They're they're hot. They're hot, no doubt about it. I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but you are the keeper of the takes, so we'll, we'll continue letting you keep those takes. You doubted me with West Virginia. It's true. Keep doubting those Kansas Jayhawks. It's very true. All right, guys, let's spin around the country for some other headline games. We've got the double bad beat of destiny in on, on the Palouse. Uh, Oregon State, I'm, I'm sorry, Oregon, 44 over Washington State. 41, the Ducks barely escape with the victory. That was I, I felt so bad for Cam Ward. Uh, the way that he had the chance to play hero late in that game, Bo Nix. He's th- he, he, Bo Nix threw the pick six and uh, had a, a tough start to that game. He bounced back, was very resilient on a road uh, on the road in a tough road spot. Oregon has the firepower offensively. I think their defense is 
really, really shaky. Now, uh, the pick six at the end to, to salt that game away, you know, it gives Wazoo a chance to then throw up a Hail Mary. You get the, like I said, the double bad beat of destiny. You will see that tonight on uh, SVP. Bo, back-to-back weeks that he was actually kind of decent. I mean, he had his moments of struggle, but he did answer the the call that we put out to him last week in the preview. Really outside of the pick six, he was really, really good. And I think, you know, talking about explosive offenses and questionable defenses, you know, that's not how we pegged Oregon going into this season, but I think I'm comfortable saying that now that Oregon defense has a lot more questions than they have answers. Washington State just ran out of gas in this one. I think we're really not doing this game a a good service if we don't talk about how Washington State really was taking control of that game at the beginning. They were uh, up by a couple scores at multiple points. Their defense really just ran out of gas. And credit Bo Nix for taking advantage of that and marching them down the field. That pick six was kind of just the nail that broke the back as Cam Ward was trying to lead a, n- another go-ahead touchdown drive to end the game. But I'm still impressed with Washington State. I think they're going to cause a lot of trouble. That Pac-12 actually looks fun this year, guys. And it, there's a lot of teams from top to bottom that are just entertaining watches, especially some of these weeks when we have them in the late-night window when there's not a lot of us on. It's not just begrudgingly watching it because it's football. It's going to be entertaining football. So that's good for everybody. Yeah, and when you're when you're down on the road and you have you know a, a problem when you're, you're losing, it's a road. Who do you turn to? You look to your quarterback. I think there's a decent chance that Bo Nix might actually be a good quarterback in this Oregon system, and that he just had to play Georgia Week One. I think that might be actually the situation that we're looking at here. He played really well, and he he took his team back. He's good, Bo, twice in a row. We were looking for that. We said we kind of doubted it would happen, but you know he was not just okay, Bo. He was good, Bo, again. So. I'm curious to see how this goes through the season. Again, Washington State, they look good. It's just figuring out how does, you know, Oregon keep going with Bo Nix and are they going to keep, you know, scoring at this level while they try to figure out what's wrong with that defense? Yeah, if that defense doesn't pluck up, I I think they're going to run into another buzzsaw potentially um, down the line. I just, I I can't see Oregon winning a Pac-12 championship with how their defense is playing. Plus, no. you know, again, not to not to continue to put expectations on Bo, but I want to see a full successful season, a full body work before I'm going to make a declaration on his ability this season, where this Oregon's offense can go as a ceiling. I truthfully have zero idea what the final record for this Oregon team is going to look like. Um, and I would guess that most Oregon fans don't know that either. So TBD, <laughs> watch this space. Uh, good showing for the Oregon Ducks offense yesterday's. Uh, you, you talked about with Bo, 428 yards, three touchdowns uh, through the air for Knicks. The other Pac-12 game that we had our eyes on, Trey, we threw this on as soon as the a Arkansas game finished up because my TV provider has Pac-12 network. Almost nobody else's does, and that's on them. <laughs> USC, number seven team in the country, wins 17-14 over Oregon State. This was the exact opposite of what I expected it to be. We thought it was going to be an offensive shootout. It was a defensive slugfest. Both offenses hit major speed bumps. Caleb Williams looked lost, frankly, for the majority of that game. They do pull it out late. But I think if you're if you're wondering, if you have questions about USC's ability to play 
you know, championship caliber football in year one of a new system, this one might throw up a red flag or two. Now, it wasn't the red flag I was expecting. I thought their defense might get exposed in this game. It was the exact opposite. It was the offense that really, really struggled to move the football. Yeah, and, you know, Chance Nolan for Oregon State just had an absolute nightmare game throwing four picks that really kept USA in it because the offense was spinning its wheels quite a bit. Caleb Williams made some plays on the ground to keep some drives going. He did flash, and we saw the talent ultimately went out in the end. But, man, it was really more of a story of Oregon State just kind of not being able to get into gear and credit the USC defense for stepping up. And when their offense is sputtering, making plays to win a game on the road. But I, yeah, it, it, it's just a situation where if you're a USC fan, I don't think you can necessarily complain about going into Corvallis and getting a win because that's been such a just house of horrors for you. But you really would have liked to see a better effort from your offense. That could have been a blowout. The offense sputtering really kept that game close. Well, and when I looked at it, too, I look at, oh, what happened? Well, at the end of the game, it came down to a couple of transfers that made your your plays right there, right? It was two guys transferred in, big-time dudes. So, you know, I don't know if it's the USC transfer Trojans that ended up winning this one, but they're thankful that they got some better talent because if it wasn't for that absolutely elite talent there at the top, then, you know, I, I – USC doesn't have any business winning this game off of scheme or anything else. It was entirely personnel. And like we say, you know, it's the Jimmy's and the Joe's actually beating out some of the X's and the O's there because USC got out coached. That's all it comes down to. They, they played a better game towards the end, but they're better players. But yeah, they were just flat out out coached. I will say I'm still cranking the chainsaw with Jonathan Smith and company. Oh, absolutely. I am. I am- so, so on board with what they're doing here. Uh, and you know, look, the recruiting, it's been a bugaboo for Oregon State for years. I think that's about to experience a major bump. It looks like the development up there in Corvallis is not just happening on the baseball field, but also maybe in the football stadium as well. And I'm really excited to see what the Beavers can bring to this Pac-12 North, especially as the landscape gets ready to shift. Uh, they've got some of the cleanest uniforms in the game. They've, they've kind of got that Texas Tech vibe for the Pac-12, right? Like between... Oregon State and Washington State, it just feels like, man, there's some some fireworks getting ready to happen, some fun things going on in these programs to star up for me for Oregon State. I know you lost the game, but you competed. Great home environment, really. And that was only with half the stadium being full because you're renovating the other half of the stadium. So uh, I, I love what's going on up in Corvallis. Uh, let's mention a couple of other games here. Let's do Baylor 31, Iowa State 24, uh, TCU over SMU. And then we got to talk Miami as well. They get just boat raced at home by the Blue Raiders of Mid-Tennessee State. Let's talk Baylor first. It really was two interceptions from Hunter Deckers that doomed the clones in this game. Now, Trey, you've been very hesitant to buy into this Baylor football program. You didn't know where the offense was going to come from. And it looks like Hal Presley, Gavin Holmes have become those two go-to receivers for Blake Shapin, who had a very good day yesterday. They ran the football well as well you're still waiting for an alpha receiver to develop but I I think you might be backing off your stance on Baylor just a little bit am I correct I think you're right and you know Blake Shapin played a really nice game of football yesterday I I am still waiting The, the ground game still looking like it needs a guy to step up obviously losing what they lost from last year is going to be a struggle they're 
running for about three to four yards per carry right now, which I don't think is going to be explosive enough to keep them in some of these games, which as we've talked about, there are just so many fun offenses in the big 12 and fun quarterbacks that are going to put up a lot of numbers when you're only running for three or four yards per carry and you don't necessarily have that alpha receiver. That's just still a little concerning to me, but credit them. Their defense stepped up today. They went on the road in a game that they were not favored to win in the Vegas spread and won by a touchdown. So I can't have a lot of bad things to say about that. I do want to see an alpha receiver step up, but still plenty of time in the uh, the season for that to happen. That defense can win another Big 12 championship if it has the offense to match it. I'm really loving what Dave Aranda's doing down there in Waco. Garrett, Miami, they get uh, upended last week in College Station by Texas A&M, a defensive slugfest. Tyler Van Dyke really struggled to complete passes in that game. This week, he gets benched at home against the Blue Raiders, a team that got blown out earlier in the season by James Madison, 44-7. to Mid-Tennessee State came in, and they threw for over 400 yards against what's supposed to be one of the best secondaries in the country. Yeah, no, I mean, look, Miami did not look very good. You could maybe argue that they got broken by Kyle Field, but I, I just think at the end of the day, this was just crystal ball getting exposed. This is just the fact that maybe that what they have isn't there yet. They don't have the talent. They don't have the scheme installed. They don't have, you know, the discipline to, to, you know, stay in it after a disappointing loss on the road. They don't have the ability to come back next week and bounce back and stay focused. I I don't know what it is, but there's a problem right now with that Miami team, with that Miami program. They have to get something right quick. Uh, Obviously Tyler Van Dyke getting benched is a shock, right? I mean, but that game wouldn't have been as close as it was if he wasn't benched, right? They, they came back a little bit with their backup quarterback. So, I mean, look, sucks to be a Miami fan right now. You you think, you know, okay, I've got this new coach. He was successful at Oregon. I've got Ty Van Dyke. We're going to have a good season. It's going to be competitive. I picked him to go and win the ACC. Clearly, that's not happening. Clearly, that's not where this program is. Um, and, man, what a disappointment for the Miami fans and for everyone thinking that they were finally going to return, finally come back, you know, break out the turnover chains and all that good stuff, man. It's disappointing start for Miami. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I personally will be shocked if we see Tyler Van Dyke again in a Miami hurricane uniform. Just, I don't know what happened this week, but between his comments in the media on that podcast that he would rather play on the road and just his performance starting off this game against middle Tennessee. I don't know how you get the locker room back. I I just personally don't know how you get the locker room back after what he did to that program this week. It just wasn't pretty. He's one of the best, most talented quarterbacks in the country. You can't question the talent, but I just don't know how as a head coach, you look at your team and say, yeah, this is our guy. Right. Yeah, you cannot. And and look, he's he's not telling anything that's not true. I mean, but you Miami don't say still, the quiet part out loud. You just can't. Right. right. Miami can't say that. Sucks. Yeah. There, there's no doubt, and Miami fans know that. But you cannot say that as the face of this team, as the guy that's supposed to lead you to your first ACC title ever. Right. Like this was supposed mm-hmm. to be your year, and then you come out and say, "Man, I love playing on the road. It's quiet in our home stadium. It's hard to get up for those games." Like. All right, Uh, we'll be seeing you. And in Jake Garcia, it's not like he's some no-name backup. I mean, a kid that was committed to USC before he had some high school eligibility issues, um, you know, kind of out of out of his hands. He's got an interesting story. Ends up at Miami. 
he's he's the future at quarterback for for the Hurricanes. That's what he was brought in to be. And I, I think you're right, I, especially off the heels of such a bludgeoning. I think it's very easy for Miami to go, okay, uh, let's hit the panic button and now let's start seeing what works. Because your season, as far as a championship season goes, it's over on the national scale. Now, you can still find a way to come back through the conference and you know be 10-2 and two and go to a conference title game. But, boy, uh, stock down for Miami. It's, it's yeah. tough in there um, down on South Beach. A couple other games. Minnesota, 34. Sparty, 7. Notre Dame. 45. They get offense all of a sudden. They beat UNC 32 on the road. The worst game of the day yesterday was Auburn inexplicably beating Missouri 17-14. Garrett, you were texting us um, about this Auburn-Missouri game, something that Trey and I were sorry that you witnessed. You took time out of your day to watch this football game. One of the most bizarre endings that we saw all day yesterday. Yeah, unfortunately, I did take my eyes off of some of these amazing middle-of-the-day games to watch this one for a little bit. Man, if you guys didn't see how that one ends up, they go to overtime. Auburn kicks the field goal the first overtime. And so, you know, Mizzou has a chance to win this game. They give it to their running back. He hits the corner. He's heading, just barreling towards the end zone down the sideline and then inexplicably just kind of stretches the ball and lets it go into the end zone. Of course, Auburn recovers it, downs it for a touchback, game's over, Auburn escapes. Auburn's not good at football. They were the, and I, I'm, I'm including AM and that field goal kick and everything. Auburn was the luckiest team in college football yesterday that that Missouri guy decided to just stretch and give the ball away into the end zone. That was, I mean, it, I get it. It's Mizzou. You know, we don't think they're very good. They don't maybe have the best players. It's a guy trying to make a play, make a highlight. I don't know what he's doing, but just a terrible, terrible football IQ play from that Mizzou running back. And if it wasn't for that, that would have been the you know the shock of you know Auburn's season so far after getting destroyed by Penn State in their own stadium the week before. So yeah. not good days for Auburn. They're in the cellar. We'll, we'll be seeing you, Auburn. And that was after Mizzou missed a very short field goal at the end of regulation yep. that could have iced the game with it before it even got to overtime. So yeah, you're absolutely right that Auburn was the luckiest to escape yesterday. Yeah, that field goal, 18 yards from dead in the middle. I mean, that ball was almost perfectly centered and the kicker somehow pushes it I'll wide. Right. Uh, I bet yeah. you I can make an 18 yard field goal. Hashtag. Oh, we need to, we need to film that content. All right. Oh, we're, we're filing that, that on the three tech. Yeah. Yep, there we go. How um, much would you bet that you could make an 18 yard field goal? Just out of curiosity. I'd probably put a hundred bucks on it. Okay. I can make an 18-yard field goal. That's not that far. It's no, that's and you don't even have to get the ball that high up off the ground. No, that's an easy I mean, field speaking goal. Speaking as speaking as someone who used to kick 40-yard field goals in high school, just you know, out <laughs> practicing and messing around, an 18-yard field goal is not not difficult. To I hit. could find you some middle schoolers who could kick an 18-yard field goal. Yeah, <laughs> oh, as, my, yeah, me too. As sure. funny as it would be to see. Garrett maybe not get that and lose that money. I don't know that I'm going to back the other side of that hundred dollars. So if you, if you guys want that side action, I'll 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 film. I'll I'll put it on Twitter. Um, Minnesota, I, row the boat, man. They are going to be the Big Ten West champions. I, I think we can book our tickets to Indianapolis right now. Mo Ibrahim is the truth. Became the all-time leading rusher in touchdowns for the Gophers yesterday. I mean, goodness, like. I don't know if Sparty's that bad or just truly if Minnesota is, you know, the team of six years that's going to cruise on 
you know, one of the, the weaker sides of a conference. I don't think that Sparty's that bad. And because of that, I'd like to formally apologize to Minnesota and to everyone who I've offended on that fan base. I think y'all are a good team. I have not been giving y'all as much respect, and I'd like to formally apply for a seat on that bandwagon. I, I would like to maybe just get like a standing room only seat sure. at the at the, the you know, Big Ten championship game. I just like to be in the building. I, I don't need to sit down on the first deck with the rest of you that clearly deserve it more than I do. But you know, I'd like to be in the building for it. Welcome, brother. You're all are welcome. Thank all you. are welcome. I appreciate that's, it. That's right. We're very inclusive here. We'll we'll meet Forgive up. Give me my sins. We'll we'll meet up on the con- concourse at halftime and I appreciate uh, exchange pleasantries. Uh, UNC has the worst defense in human history. Uh, after giving up 61 to App State, they've now given up 45 to Notre Dame in a losing effort. Guys, UNC looked atrocious. Mac Brown got a personal foul penalty called on him yesterday. I mean, uh, after a odd start to the season, we we said maybe the wonkiest three and zero start of all time. They finally get bit by a team that was desperate for another win. Marcus Freeman now 2-2. Two and two. It seems like Notre Dame's season might be stabilizing. I don't think that they're going to run the table by any stretch, but it was good to see Drew Pine find the end zone a couple of times. Notre Dame looks like they have a pulse again. UNC, whew, I, don't know, I don't know who you're going to be able to stop. If you can't stop a shaky Notre Dame offense on a backup quarterback, I truly don't know who you can stop. Uh, number four, Michigan, 34, Maryland, 27. Last game that will really have any sort of comments on, I guess, Ohio State blows out Wisconsin, 52-21. That went really according to plan, exactly what we thought would happen. For Michigan, though, they don't blow out Maryland. And, and we talked about this on the podcast. We all took Michigan minus whatever. And I threw out the stat that Maryland, in their Big Ten existence, is getting beat by an average of 14 points Every single time that they they drop a game in conference, they kept this close. Maryland was not very consistent on offense, but their defense stood up at times, at least in the past game. Now, Garrett, you've been leading the charge for Blake Corum here. He got whatever he wanted on the ground. Mm-hmm. Still, I think an impressive showing for Maryland, but without a doubt, the, the story here, what Blake Corum is doing and maybe running towards a Heisman in New York. Yeah, I think Blake Corum has to be your front runner right now. He is the most important piece to one of the better teams in this country. I still think Michigan's one of the best teams in this country. You're allowed to have a down game where, you know, you don't play to your level. But if you're the guy that's keeping that team afloat in that situation, then yeah, he has to be. Now I know that the Heisman's kind of turned into a quarterback award here, but Blake Corum should absolutely have a seat in you know December when they decide on that award and he absolutely at this point in the season would be deserving of winning it he's fantastic he does whatever he wants to the story of why this ended up being as close as it was just has to do with the fact that I think JJ McCarthy has to be a lot more uh, consistent passing the football he didn't have a bad game he didn't have a game where you know he, he threw it away or you know just couldn't do anything but he just wasn't very good in the clutch moments and I think that has to do with okay you're a little younger a little more inexperienced He'll grow into it, right? He's going to he's gonna be better. But look, Michigan was 5 of 12 on third down. They're going to have to be better. They're just going to have to be better. And they also probably need to see those third downs come down because they're moving the ball more effectively in the early downs as well. So I think they will bounce back. I think they will be better. But I think a lot of Michigan fans are, are grateful that they got out of there with that win based on how well Maryland came out and, and gave them a real contest. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing that you got to – 
take into account when you go with the higher ceiling guy, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, he's going to have the higher ceiling. JJ McCarthy's going to have the higher ceiling, but he's going to have some of these games that you're just like, okay, we got to battle through this because he made a couple of mistakes or he just missed a throw or something like that. So credit to Michigan. They won their game that they weren't fully engaged in and they weren't fully uh, operational. And that's what good teams do as well. Sure. Uh, Ohio State, they they chop wood, carry water. They do exactly what they should have against Wisconsin. 52-21, that was a game that the Badgers were just going to be outmatched from the start. If their defense didn't pull off a miracle and somehow contain that passing game, they were going to get run off the field in, in relatively short order, and that's exactly what happened. We turned this game off yep. uh, before the first quarter was even over. It, uh, it was 21 nothing in the blink of an eye. Nothing to watch. Um, so o- Ohio State, they're, they're looking like the offensive death star. I do wonder if that defense is going to be able to compete to get them to a national championship game, but they look very, very solid. Uh, elsewhere, we had a couple of Thursday and Friday night games, namely West Virginia just blowing out uh, Virginia Tech. For I forgot what the name of that trophy is. Um, is it the Black Diamond? What What's the name of that trophy? Someone look that up I for me. I couldn't tell West, you. West Virginia. 33. I'll look it up real quick. Yeah, Virginia Tech ten. You guys were both on the Hokies plus the points here, basically because you didn't know which team was going to play better in this game, and so if it's a battle of two bad teams, take the points. Boy, JT Daniels must have heard that and and taken it personally. <laughs> Virginia Tech's bad. They have no offense. And and that defense, look, that's probably the better side of the the coin. But even still, it is a rebuild project for Brent Pry. And, you know, it sucks to see them get blown out at home. They've got Inter Sandman, one of the best college atmospheres in the country, and then they can't even compete against the Mountaineers. Yeah, I think yeah. we were hitting West Virginia a little too hard for that Kansas loss. Like we've said, I think Kansas is a very good football team, and I don't think we should be penalizing them as much as I had been to this point. Um, you know, they competed with Pitt. Pitt's looked fine so far as well. I think West Virginia is a fine team that I just was underestimating because of that loss early on. Virginia Tech is not a very good team. <laughs> They're just not very good. That uh, They can be the bottom feeders this year. Sorry about it, Virginia Tech. Yeah, I saw the Smoking Musket tweeted. He's one of the more prominent uh, West Virginia Twitter people, and he said Tired was West Virginia lost to Kansas, and Wired was West Virginia kept it close with Kansas. So, (laughs) yeah, maybe we need to reframe our uh, reference on that game. But, yes, it is the Black Diamond Trophy that West Virginia won. Okay, well, yeah, I'm glad somewhere in the the subconscious it was was telling me that was the trophy's name. There you go. Uh, Friday night, Syracuse wins 22-20 over Virginia. Syracuse was running away with this, and then they hit the brakes offensively. Virginia started to come back. But the Orange are 4-0, gentlemen. They refuse to lose inside what we refuse to call as anything other than the Carrier Dome. I don't understand how they're doing this offensively because Garrett Schrader cannot throw the ball. But they keep finding ways to win, and the Orange, a team that we had maybe maybe on a hope and a prayer getting to four wins this season has won their first four of the season. Yeah, it's a really exciting times for a lot of basketball first schools right now. And Syracuse is right at the top of that list, man. So credit to the orange. The perpetual question is, is Syracuse good? That's what I keep seeing the graphic thrown around on Twitter. And it's an amazing question that I still don't have the answer to, but they're four. No. They are indeed. They are indeed. Group of five teams that won this week. James Madison 
out of nowhere. They uh, pull a, a, a Patriots against the Falcons. They win 32-28 after the Nears were up 28-3. Garrett, I'm sorry that uh, you're back in the team of destiny. Did not work out for you in the ledger. That's a kind of exactly what I expected to happen did happen. Just the order of events was a little, little misconstrued, but... App State, they used up all their magic those first three weeks, and then they, they were kind of due for a letdown in the Dukes. Tell you what, the Dukes are playing some really good football right now. They beat App State in Boone. I, I still think App State's going to be fine. They, they should be the favorites to win the Sun Belt, don't you think? Yeah, App State's having one of the weirdest seasons that I've seen in a long time where they're coming out there beating teams they have no business beating and then losing to teams that they have no business losing to. So... Very strange season so far for App State. They should still be the favorites in that conference. So I, I think they're a very good team. This might get their attention and help them kind of bounce back from that. Coastal's sitting right there at undefeated as well. I know their defense hasn't been great, but I think Coastal's going to have something to say about that as well. It's going to be a fun game. Can't wait to break that one down when it comes around. Cincinnati blows the doors off of Indiana. Team 9 Indiana takes another hit. Um, listen, Tom Allen and his bunch, they they play hard in some games. They don't in others, and today was one of those that they did not play that hard. Uh, ben Bryant throws for 354 for Cincinnati. I mean, he's – tell you what, we might have underrated him in the preseason. He's looking really, really good. After leaving Cincinnati, going to Eastern Michigan, now coming back to Cincinnati to, uh, to quarterback that ball club. UTEP 27 over Boise State 10. On Friday night, you, uh, Boise immediately fired their offensive coordinator. Dirk Cutter is going to take over that. Boise State might be bad, bad, Trey. Yeah, and UTEP flipped the script. They were 17-point dogs, win the game by 17. Never want to be in that situation if you're the favorite, and I think rightfully so, Boise fires their offensive coordinator, leaves them on the tarmac in El Paso, basically. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on at Boise, but they have just laid a couple of just absolute dud of an eggs yeah to start the season against oregon state and utep yeah andy avalos gosh it's it's not gotten off to a good start there on the blue turf uh lastly here recapping the ledger boy this was mixed results all over the board uh garrett i'm, I'm sorry to say is is uh we're actually all tied in the pick'em standings right now all three of us are 21 17 and 2 according to my math so uh, how that's happened, I don't exactly know, but uh, <laughs> stats don't lie. We're, we're above average, at least in picking against the spread. Ledger-wise, though, uh, Gary, you took it on the chin this week. You went one and I three. Did. Trey went two and two. I went three and one. Um, James Madison coming back on you really hurt, and then Florida covering late on you also really hurt. Yeah, definitely didn't see those results coming. Also, Michigan not just blowing the brakes off of yeah. Maryland didn't help me either. So, yeah. you know, I appreciate the grace of getting ULM in that one to you know get me a single point. Uh, apparently, that was a great call on Trey's part. Didn't see that one coming personally, but uh, yeah, just some really weird results in terms of offenses maybe not showing up for Michigan and Tennessee, uh, or at least maybe not defenses showing up as much as they should have. So, I'm, I don't know if we'll try again next week. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm never picking two ledger games that kick off after 6 p.m. again because I was counting so <laughs> many chickens before they hatched, winning my matchups that you guys picked against me yep. and then losing both of the ones that I picked for you guys. So <laughs> never doing that again. Yeah, Trey at one point started out, oh, I might go 4-0 here in the ledger week. And then by the end, there was a, you know, just a crash down to earth to go 2-2. Yep. Two and two. 
Terry Bowdy winning the Battle of the Bayou Boot. I mean, where did sure. that come from, ULM? Sure. <laughs> Way to go, Terry. Uh, Louisiana, not not the Raging Cajun team uh, that it was under Billy Napier. Guys, loaded week four. I'm excited for week five. That's This is the gift that keeps on giving. And, uh, you know, as it, it, busy as we stay, previewing each week and then getting to recap and just relive all the excitement, it gets me going for the next week, and I, I can't wait for week five. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting week of action. Lots of shakeup in the AP poll already, and some big-time matchups. we got a top-10 one in Clemson with NC State and Clemson. Yep. Clemson has to back up what they did this week. we got a couple other fun matchups around the country. If I may, I did want – we're running low on time. I did want to give one negative shout-out to Mitch and I's game day experience yesterday because – Oh, that's right. We had a fantastic time at the for- at Ford Stadium. Two fan bases that really don't like each other. We were kind of sitting right in between both of them. It was a great time. Um, some vitriol, a little bit of uh, hazing back and forth, but sure. nothing you wouldn't expect from a bitter rivalry. SMU, fire your DJ like today. Because first of all, you don't need to play just background music whenever there's dead air even when there's injuries on the field we have to have some like lo-fi beat apparently coming through the stands i know this sounds like old man yells at cloud and i promise i'll get to the bad <laughs> part of it in a second tcu scores a game clinching touchdown oh yeah and this man or woman decides to play parking lot party by i can't remember Ooh, what Brian, country luke luke sure yeah parking lot party Look up the lyrics, and as the SMU fans are just leaving the stadium, at your home stadium, you're trolling your own fans or just very, very not self-aware. So fire that guy like yesterday. I think it had to be the the lack of self-awareness. Yeah, because you're right. Like All of TCU staying to see the final snaps, to see them win, to sing the alma mater, it's your own fans that are heading to the parking lots, and you're playing parking lot. Parking lot party. Yeah, no, you don't want a happy – that's not a happy song for you right now. No, it was was beyond a tough scene from the DJ. That certainly was the one great pregame atmosphere. Gosh, their hype video is amazing. Fire, DJ. That was tough. Yeah. I had not heard this story. That is fantastic. <laughs> that is just an epic troll job. Was the DJ like a TCU alum and he was doing this on his last day or we something? Don't know, like, man. You had have to, to be. think, right? Had to be. One of, one of the great own goals of our time, though, was just oh, some some errant tunes being being bandied about by uh, by the SMU DJ in really odd times too. I mean, like I, I remarked to Trey, it was like they just had the Spotify login and they're only. Their only ability to like fade in and out was just controlling the volume knob. Like very odd parts of songs would just randomly start playing and then they'd realize, oh wait, they're about to snap it and immediately mute the song. It was it was interesting. So hey, SMU, you know, I think we gotta figure out the concession lines as well. Um 45 minute concession lines for a bottle of water, that's that's not ideal. Um, but uh, other than that, I, hey, we'll be back. We're we're proud season ticket owners. Didn't go the, the way of the ponies yesterday. They can't play any defense, but, uh, you know, I, I think they should put up some points the rest of the season. Yeah, great time other than the DJ. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that's going to put a bow on our week four recap. We're so excited for week five. Again, upload twice a week. Monday mornings are the recaps. Thursday mornings are the previews. So if you are new to the show and you've stayed around till the end, please hit subscribe on the show. Follow us at 3TechPod on Instagram and Twitter as well. For Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, 
So long, everybody. Yeah.